The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go back to the book of Acts this morning, and we've been trying to examine the book of Acts and God's pattern for a thriving kingdom that we see in the book of Acts, and I've really been trying to determine the best time for us to address this aspect of a thriving kingdom, and uh, go ahead and let you know that aspect is persecution, and uh, we, when we had a little bit of an overview of the book of Acts, everywhere Paul went, everywhere the apostles went, God blessed in a mighty way, but there was also always a degree of persecution that went hand in hand with every single advancement of the kingdom. And we, we really just need to make sure that we understand that. That <clears throat> Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 that I'm going to abide in Ephesus and the reason why I'm going to stay here is because a effectual and open door has been, has been manifestly opened unto me but there are many adversaries. And when there's an open door, Satan will always try to galvanize his forces to... He can't close the door. God, Satan has no ability to close the door. But what he can do is get, get God's people distracted or afraid to not press through that door. So when there are open doors, there are always, always many adversaries. And that is actually a very good sign, <laughs> okay? I want to make sure that we understand and we're able to put persecution in the right context because that is a, a sign that the Lord is moving and that the kingdom is being advanced. Um, let's go ahead and read. Um, I've been trying to pray over the best way to, uh, to present this. Let's go, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 5 first. Um, and, and I was trying to... Uh, Again, determine the best time to introduce persecution uh, during this series, and I think that it fits pretty pretty neatly um, in the aftermath of what we've been trying to consider, which is evangelism and the manner in which that we are called to uh, share the good news of the gospel and share the good news and a witness and a testimony of God's blessings in our life and. Uh, we need to live a godly life as a testimony uh, to those around us, and we should certainly be willing. and And this is not very, this is not very dangerous, really, uh, to to share God's blessings with our family and our friends and those that we love and that we know that they love us. That that's a, a very very safe, comfortable um, interaction. That there's not a lot of danger in that, but. Where the rubber really meets the road is that is that third aspect of evangelism that we try to talk to talk about together, which is having a, a willingness and an excitement <clears throat> to share God's blessings in your life and share the good news of salvation by grace alone to those that we don't know. And one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons that you may have a hesitancy to do that, and I have that same hesitancy, is because of what we perceive to be 
some of the uncomfortableness and maybe even the dangers of that. You know, as we've seen in the book of Acts, everywhere the apostles went, they preached the gospel. Some people were converted. The majority were indifferent. But you always had this group of people that absolutely hated the preaching of the gospel. They were cut to the heart. They desired to persecute them. And everywhere they went, everywhere they went, um, you know, these people in the book of Acts were described as having turned the world upside down. Well, guess what? The world doesn't like being turned upside down. (laughs) People get upset when the world gets turned upside down. So when we are trying in the midst of those individual moments, in the midst of individual conversations, where a conversation could pivot in one direction or the other, you know, am I going to have the courage to bring up something about the Lord? Um, I, unfortunately, bless my heart, I'm going to count it to the core. And I've just got one big T-chart in my head, debits and credits, pros and cons, positives and negatives. And you, you have that to some degree as well. And most likely you will not be willing to do something that's going to make you uncomfortable if the pros don't outweigh the cons in your mind. And I think we, we can see some of the cons. I don't like, I don't like having uncomfortable conversations. Uh, I'm very, um, probably too much. So I'm, I'm, uh, conflict averse. I, I don't like having conflict and being uncomfortable. So that's a pretty big con in, in my area. You know, I don't, I don't want to be, unco- I don't want to fracture, possibly fracture a good or a, or a cordial relationship with somebody by me interjecting something that they may not like. And that, that's a danger of that. But I think that we'll probably have more excitement and, and willingness to do that if we really understand the pros, though. I mean, there's cons, right? You can be uncomfortable, and somebody may not like you by the end of that conversation. Oh, I may not like what you have to say. Well, I would encourage you that that's just a situation that you need to learn to be comfortable in. <laughs> this is bigger than just evangelism, okay? You just need to learn to be comfortable in your own skin. You need to learn to be comfortable with some people not being the biggest fan of you. Now, don't go around being a jerk, right? But that. They need to not like you for the right reasons, (laughs) but we have to be comfortable that not everyone is going to like us, especially when we let our light shine. Jesus said, listen, the reason why, the reason why that the world is persecuting me is because when the light shines, the darkness doesn't like it. And when you let your light shine, there will be those in darkness who will not like it, okay? And we, we have to be comfortable with that. We have to get used to that and understand that this is not an abnormality. This is the way things are in serving Jesus Christ. Now, there are tremendous joys in doing that. There are tremendous blessings in having in that context, having that willingness to to share God's word with people, but just in a broader context of discipleship, there is so many unspeakable blessings in the kingdom of God. Joy unspeakable, peace that passes all understanding. But in this world, you're going to have burdens and cares and troubles. 
I've been thinking, trying to meditate on uh, Matthew chapter 11 recently. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We just need to understand <clears throat> that you're going to have burdens in this world. Okay? Let's just understand that baseline understanding. You're going to have burdens and you're going to have a yoke. The only question is for the child of God, are you going to bear that yoke yourself? Are you going to bear that burden yourself? Or are you going to submit to Christ's yoke and let him bear that burden and that yoke with you? And I'll tell you, it's a lot better for the child of God for you to bear, uh, for Christ to bear that yoke with you than you trying to bear that yoke yourself. But I want you to understand that there are yokes and burdens in discipleship. You know, when Jesus talks about serving the Lord, uh, what does he tell you that you're going to take up? What does he tell you? Do you know the answer to that? You're going to take up a cross. A cross. That's a, that's a picture of death, and it's heavy. <laughs> it, I mean, it's not easy to bear. He didn't say you're going to take up, you know, something nice and comfortable, and, and you know, he's not, you're not going to take up, you know, vacations all the time. You're taking a cross, there are going to be burdens in this world. And one of the blessed burdens that we have if we're serving God faithfully is that to some degree or another, to some degree or another, we will face persecution for letting our light shine. Now, I just want to take a moment <clears throat> and let's have a silent prayer of thanksgiving together for God's amazing blessings on us in America. Okay? We, we just need to let that sink in. Because when we talk about persecution, we don't even really have context. Praise God for the First Amendment. Praise God for those that have died and held the banner of America to where we have governmental First Amendment protections of the right of religious liberty in America. Praise God for that. But every Christian, especially every Primitive Baptist, you need to have a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Mm -hmm. You need to understand. You need to stand, understand the history of the church is marked in blood. And there, there's a quote from Tertullian. He was a second century Christian writer, very prominent writer in that time. And this is true. This, for the history of the church, praise God, it's not been in America by God's amazing providence and kindness. But this quote is true in the history of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, praise God, during this time in America, we are not afraid of people losing their life for the cause of Christ. So, we thank the Lord for that. And the worst that we're really going to have to deal with in regards to persecution is what the Bible would call reviling. The worst you would deal with is maybe not being invited to something that you would prefer to go to. Uh, maybe there are issues in, and that these will only become more prevalent, in, in employment. That could be a very significant area of persecution. Uh, I don't have any, any facts uh, or a, a smoking gun to back this up, but it wouldn't surprise me if there, were, uh, if that was not an aspect of me being forced out of my job last fall, that there was a desire for some nefarious things, and I was not going to comply with that. 
You know, but that's a minor thing because the Lord ended up blessed me with a much better situation than I had before. But that's a minor thing. If I had to endure that little degree of of persecution for the Lord to give me a better job, uh, that's a very small thing, a very small thing to have to suffer for Christ. So when we talk about persecution, praise God, praise God that we're not having to deal with the exact environment that we see in the early first century. But the history of the church is marked in blood. Okay? It is. But you want to know what's amazing? Is God has used through church history, he has used persecution to grow his kingdom. Okay? I mean, let's just highlight very quickly. I'm going to come back to Acts chapter 5, okay? But let's highlight very quickly a few instances where... At the early stages of persecution were some of the most amazing advancements of the kingdom that God used. Now, does it cause those things to happen? But you know what? He, what's the best way to put this? He, he gives Satan enough rope to hang himself. Okay? We'll, we'll put it like that. You know, Satan is galvanizing his forces to try to stamp out the kingdom. And God gives him just enough rope to... to do certain things to show him that I'm going to use your nefarious actions to grow and explode my kingdom. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful to see all throughout the book of Acts. That, so the very first taste of persecution that these disciples encounter is you have the healing of the, uh, the lame man in Acts chapter 3. They stand up and they boldly preach the gospel there in the temple. And then this is the first time they're thrown in prison. First time they've th- they're thrown in prison. And as they are being hauled off to prison at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, that was when 5,000 men joined the church, okay? At the very first instance of persecution, and by the way, uh, I, I apologize for skipping around. I want to go ahead and get this quote. So this is simmering in your mind, okay? Acts chapter 5, and in verse 40, the apostles were beaten, they were commanded to not speak in the name of the Lord, and they departed from the presence of the council. This is the thought I want us to really have imprinted on on our hearts this morning. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, why was that so important? Why was that so important for them to have the blessed privilege of being thrown in prison for Jesus? Because I think it was still very tender in their heart that we, we left him. We forsook him. And yes, yeah, Peter was at the forefront, right? He was the one who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He was the one who denied him three times and that cock crew. But every single one of those apostles fled and left him. Now, John came back. Props to John for coming back. But where are the other ten? <laughs> right? Where are the rest of them? They all left. And you know what? I think that, that that conviction was still very heavy on their mind that they said, well, we messed up. I mean, God, Jesus counted on us. We let him down. And now we have the chance to try to make up for our past mistakes. So now we're going to we boldly preach the gospel. And, and now when they're thrown in prison, they're saying... Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, that now we're trying, we're, we're having the blessed privilege to repay our mistakes in the past. 
because you were called on the carpet. You were, uh, you were put falsely on trial, and you didn't have anyone there in your corner. Now we have the, the blessed privilege to stand up for Christ because we let him down in the past. But look what happens the very first time that the church is encountering persecution. The Lord adds 5,000 men to the church. And I, I believe it's very doubtful that only men joined the church that day. Only the men were highlighted, but I believe it's very doubtful that there was just 5,000 men. That's a good chance for 8,000 people to join the church that day when women and, and children most likely joined the church. The very first instance of persecution, the... <laughs> now, the Lord was already kind of adding to the church daily, but you can make a strong case that the church doubled in one day at the first instance of persecution, the membership rolls. The church doubled, <laughs> At the very first instance of persecution. So then they get out of prison. They're let out later on in Acts chapter 4. And their first response to that is not say, oh man, you know, now we got, now we got problems with the government. Now we got getting thrown in prison. Let's make sure we put our light under a bushel. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. They, the church came together in one accord and they said, Lord, give us boldness. Their first prayer was, Lord, our natural tendency is going to be shirked back a little bit. Our natural tendency is going to get a little nervous. But Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with boldness. Verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness. God gave them boldness. And the Lord continued to advance his kingdom. And the Lord was adding to the church daily. We, we looked at that in previous messages. The Lord added, added and then it got to the point where he was multiplying and it was just growing exponentially. They're thrown in prison a little bit later in Acts chapter 5. The verses that we read previously, we want to go back to that. Uh, they agreed <clears throat> when they called the apostles, Acts chapter 5 and verse 40, and they beat them. They beat them. I mean, I'm sure that physically that hurt. But again, they had left Jesus Christ when he was beaten with that cat of nine tails. And they had the blessed privilege of having fellowship with Jesus Christ in the midst of their sufferings to try to touch the same, not the same, but to touch a degree of the suffering that Jesus Christ had. And you have special fellowship. I want to go ahead and get this verse for you too so you can be meditating on this as we continue. Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 10, Paul said in the midst of this chapter, I gave up all these things. I used to be a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. I was, I was a big shot among the Jews. I gave up all that and I count them but dung in verse 8 that I may win Christ. I'm willing to give all this up for the knowledge and the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues on in verse 10, that I may know him. That's what discipleship's about, okay? Boy, I'm happy to be a primitive Baptist, but sometimes we're, we're too happy to be primitive Baptist, okay? We are disciples of Jesus Christ, okay? I want to know him. I want to know Christ. And you want to know one of the best ways? Yes, you can feel the power of his resurrection. Praise God, you can feel the power of his resurrection. But you have a special intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ in suffering that you do not have in prosperity. You just don't. I may know him and the power of his res resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. 
the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. There is a fellowship with Jesus Christ that you just don't get by everything being comfortable and easy. God's people, and the Lord knows this, we just have to have the right perspective with the Lord, the things that the Lord suffers to come in our life. The Lord knows the greatest danger to the church has always been prosperity. Always. The greatest danger to the church has always been, and we're talking about the church. Look at Old Testament Israel. They're the same. They're the exact same. They get a little bit of ease, a little bit of prosperity, and they start feeling self-sufficient, and they forget the Lord. Next thing you know, they're in idolatry. And that you have, you have that exact same cycle 20 or 30 times all throughout the Old Testament. God's people cannot handle prosperity. So God is gracious to allow us to have a little bit of burden to bear. <laughs> um, I heard Michael Goins, but Michael Goins mentioned this in a sermon quite a few years ago, and very astute, as just about everything Brother Michael says is. But, you know, when you're driving with a trailer... One, it can be very dangerous if that trailer does not have some weight on it because that trailer is going to be jumping all around and everywhere. And that, boy, sometimes you think if you're, if you're pulling a, an empty trailer, you think it's just going to jump off the hitch because it's so unstable. But you know what? You put just enough weight on there and that trailer will ride really smooth. Now, you don't want to put too much weight on it, right? <laughs> Because then you start bogging down your tires. You have problems if you put too much weight on it. But you know what? That trailer rides really smooth with just enough weight on it. And, you know, that's the Lord's gracious enough to give us just enough weight where we're not overwhelmed. If you feel overwhelmed, go read the Psalms. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's good. That's, that's a good thing for you to feel that way because it, it makes you seek out the help and the blessing of God. So God does not fully overwhelm me, but he gives me just enough, just enough, and he's going to give you grace sufficient in the midst of that, but he's, he gives you just enough to where I'm not in danger of being forgetting the Lord in prosperity, but I'm also not overwhelmed and being consumed because of the cares and the troubles of this world. He gives you just enough to where your trailer can ride a little smoother, right? He gives you just what you need. But there is a fellowship with Jesus Christ in the midst of sufferings that we just don't have unless we're suffering, Okay? And we, we do not have to suffer what the first century church has. But you know what? When you, are, when you are mocked and reviled for just simply standing up for truth in your little circle, you know, I'm not going to go to that inappropriate party. I'm not going to go to this inappropriate meeting. I'm not going to spend my Saturday nights acting like everyone else. I'm not going to look like the world. No, I'm going to be sanctified. I'm going to be set apart. And you know what? There's going to be people that are going to they're going to roll your roll their eyes at. That's about. I tell you, we're so comfortable and blessed. That's about the worst that we get. 
We, I mean, people not thinking, people thinking that you're a goody two shoes and rolling their eyes at you. Like that's our persecution. That's how blessed we are. But you know what? Even that little bit, that little bit of suffering that you might have to endure for that, you still have fellowship with Jesus Christ in the midst of that kind of suffering. You don't have to be burned at the stake to have fellowship with Jesus Christ in suffering, okay? They counted worthy, counted rejoicing. They, they took joy in the fact that we have the privilege of suffering for Christ's sake. And, you know, and I'll tell you what, if you suffer for Christ's sake, that is an evidence that to some degree you're doing something right. You're doing something right. You know, in the book of Job, <clears throat> Satan is going to and fro and he presents himself before the Lord and God says, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to and fro. I'm looking for people to persecute. I'm looking for people to hurt. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, I've known about him for a long time. He's been doing a great job. He's... Fears God with all of his house, and I've been trying to find some little loophole, some little crack to get at him for years, but Lord, you got him hemmed up real good. I can't get to him. <laughs> I've known about him, and I've desired to destroy him. Boy, don't, don't underestimate our enemy, okay? Satan desires to destroy you. But he cannot get past God's providential hedge. He says, I've been trying to destroy him for years. And the Lord allows that providential hedge to be removed. And then you have all those calamities that come upon Job. And again, I think the Lord gives Satan just enough rope to hang himself. And he showed his power and his glory and his sovereignty and his providence by giving, give, allowing Job to, to glorify God in the midst of that. I showed up with nothing. I'm leaving with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And by the end of it, Job was much more blessed in the end than he was before. And God was glorified by his triumphant blessing of Job in spite of the worst attack of Satan that anyone has ever endured on the face of this earth. Okay? But what's sobering about that is Satan knew all about Job. He desired to destroy him. In Acts chapter 19, there's some people that are casting out some devils. And Paul shows up. <clears throat> and uh, they said, Jesus we know. These are the evil spirits talking. They said, Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who are you? <laughs> uh, you know, they weren't doing too much in the kingdom because the evil spirits didn't know them. But understand, those evil spirits knew Paul by name. They knew Paul by name. And if the Lord is using us in his kingdom to advance his kingdom, you are on Satan's radar. Big time. You're on Satan's radar. So God will give you grace sufficient. God will give you grace sufficient with what you stand in need of. But when you are encountering suffering for Christ's sake, number one, this is in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, all all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, we're all about the shalls in the Bible, right? We're all Baptist, hard, hard shells, have hard shalls. That shall is just as strong as he shall save his people from their sins. Mm -hmm. 
all, and that, that's all inclusive, you know, some alls, you got to rally divide them. All doesn't always mean all, but there all means all. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why is that the case? Why is that the case? Jesus said this in uh, John chapter 15. You know, if we're going to follow... Okay, let's, let's make sure that we understand discipleship. Discipleship is us following Jesus. It's following in the footsteps of Jesus. And what was Jesus' path? What was his lot? Persecution, right? If we're going to follow Jesus, then we're going to follow his same path. And what's his path? Persecution from the kingdom of darkness. John chapter 15 and in verse 18. If the world hates you, don't, don't get concerned. Don't, don't feel like something's wrong. Don't, don't wilt under the pressure. If the world hates you, just know that it hated me before it hated you. Okay? If you were of this world, the world would love you. You know? The reason why the world is persecuting you is because you are a heaven-born and heaven-bound creature. You're not fit for this world anymore. <laughs> if you were of the world, you'd fit right in. Praise God we don't fit in. Amen? <laughs> we don't fit in because we are bound for heaven. Our soul has been changed and our desire has been changed. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hateth you. The world hates you. Why? Because it hates Christ. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Again, there's no, there's no loopholes to that. There's no if ands, or buts. If they persecuted Christ and we're servants of Christ and disciples of Christ and we're walking in Christ's path, inevitably, what's going to be the result of that? We're going to encounter persecution too. And if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. If those people that you perceive to be your friends are neck deep in the world, don't be surprised if they're lukewarm, carnal Christians that are invested in the things of the world instead of the kingdom. Don't be surprised if even those who you may view highly persecute you or hate you or revile you to some degree because they're following the world instead of following Christ. Back in the book of Acts, going back to the point that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, Stephen. Stephen is just a good godly deacon. He's ordained in chapter 6. He's, he was blessed to perform some different miracles and, and great wonders uh, that kind of brought a little bit more attention to him. But for the most part, he's just a deacon that's just standing up for the truth and serving God and the measure he's been given in the community with the people he interacts with on a daily basis. Okay, And inevitably... There are men that are cut to the heart that desire to persecute him. He ends up preaching. <clears throat> you know, Stephen, Stephen was not trying to win, flins, win friends and influence people, right? You want to know the main thrust of his sermon? He gives us this beautiful summary 
of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you want, but you want to know pretty much the whole summary of his, of his message? <laughs> There's not been a single godly prophet, not a single godly leader in the entire history of Israel that you have not persecuted. <laughs> That's pretty much the summary of his entire sermon, is that he goes through every single stage of the history of Israel, and his summary is there is not one single prophet from God that stood up and said, thus saith the Lord that you've liked. Instead, all you've done is persecuted, and most of them, you've killed them. <laughs> and you want to know what the response to that was? Because they were, un these men that slain him, because they were unregenerate, they were cut to the heart, and they desired to do the exact same things that their forefathers did, right? I mean, that just tells you the difference between a born-again child of God's heart that can be pricked and a hard, stony heart that is cut to the heart. Because you know what? He points the finger in their face and said, all you've done is persecute them. And you want to know what? They don't have enough self-awareness to, to realize that you are perpetuating the exact same thing he just told you. <laughs> Instead of you repenting. Your response to that, people in Acts chapter 2, was that they repented. They were pricked in the heart and they repented. But you want to just see man's depravity on state, uh, on, on display he preaches a sermon that says, all you've ever done is persecute godly people. And they said, you know what? We hate this guy. We want to kill him. They perpetuated the exact same thing he'd been telling them. But we know this story of Stephen right before his death, right? Boy, I tell you. I bet if Stephen, I'm sure he was a good godly man. I'm sure he had a wife. I'm sure he had kids. I'm sure the, the church was devastated with the martyrdom of Stephen. But I don't think Stephen would have given up this moment for a couple more years of serving the Lord in his kingdom. Because I'll tell you, I don't know if anyone has had a more intimate, special relationship and fellowship in the midst of sufferings with Jesus Christ than Stephen did when he's about to die and the Lord opens up heaven and he sees the Son of God standing up to receive him in heaven. Now, I, I, you know what? I don't even think he felt those stones because he was so transfixed on the glory of Jesus. I believe he just, even though he was being physically bludgeoned to death, I believe his spirit just gently passed and he didn't feel any suffering because, and I, and I think if you asked him when he got to heaven, I, I don't think he would have said, you know, I wish I, wish I would have kept my mouth shut. I wish I would have just bowed to these people that, that were blaspheming the name of the Lord. I, I wish I would have just kept my mouth shut so I could have eked out a couple more years on earth. I guarantee you he would say that suffering was worth that few minutes of seeing Jesus Christ before I came into heaven. Now, you know the church was devastated, right? The church was devastated with the death of Stephen. But do you know that that is the event, the pivotal event that moved the church to spread beyond Jerusalem? Okay? The next chapter, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time... <clears throat> There was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they that were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, verse 4, we've spent a good bit of time meditating on this verse, 
Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. You know, you stomp that ant bed and those ants go everywhere. Satan said, you know what? There's only a couple of these people. It's only a couple thousand people. <laughs> yes, it's growing more than I would prefer, but there's only a couple thousand people. If I can just kill them, they're going to get afraid. If I can just have a martyr and, and they're going to be afraid and they're not going to want to lose their life. So the Lord allowed Satan enough latitude for these wicked men to slay Stephen, and he blessed Stephen in the midst of that in a mighty way. But he used that persecution, and he used the death of Stephen to be the means by which it now spread outside of Jerusalem. It now spread through the whole world. Do you understand that? The death of Stephen was the moment that the kingdom expanded beyond Jerusalem. The, the church always thrives. Don't you understand this? The church always thrives in persecution. And the church dwindles away in prosperity. Always. Not just the church. Again, same principle in the Old Testament. The church thrives in persecution. And the church becomes lukewarm, and dwindles away in prosperity. And it was the death of Stephen that was the means by which the commission that he'd been telling them, you're going to go to the whole world. Well, how did they go to the whole world? Because of persecution. Okay? And then you go throughout the rest of the book of Acts, and everywhere they go, they preach the gospel. Some people believe. They're baptized. Many people don't care. And then you have a group of people that are so vitriolic that they now make their full-time job traveling and following Paul everywhere he goes for the purpose of killing him. That, that, they commit that that's their full-time job now. They hated that so much. So we have this pattern, this pattern in the book of Acts that um, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I want to get... One more verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14. Now, these are the same people here. <clears throat> Acts chapter 14 and verse 21 and 22. They have just seen Paul. If you remember this trip, he goes out and then uh, he's, he's stoned and left for dead. They thought that they'd finished the job. They thought they'd killed him. And then he goes out, but then he turns around and comes back the exact same way that they just came, right? Which tells you how committed he was to the gospel. And if it was me... If it was me, I said, you know, well, we're going to skip the city where they just stoned me and thought that they, you know, I'm not going to give them a chance to finish the job, okay? But you want to know why he came back to that city? You know what? These people that just saw me stoned, they're probably going to be afraid. As any natural person would be, right? They're going to be afraid to press into the kingdom. And these people need to be encouraged. And the Lord's not going to, uh, I believe the Lord was moving in him so strongly that I think the Paul Paul was had some degree of understanding that they're not going to take my natural life. Uh, he didn't address that in Scripture. Uh, he says that a little bit later when he's uh, the Lord promised him, "I'm going to go to Rome." He said, "Look, I don't." When he was in the ship uh, in the the major tempest in Acts chapter twenty-seven and other circumstances, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know the Lord promised me I'm going to Rome, so I'm going to Rome. Okay. And I think the Lord let Paul have some degree of understanding that they're not going to take 
my natural life because I have more work for you to do in the kingdom. So anyway, he's not afraid to go back where they just stoned him. But boy, don't you know that these people that just, just got baptized, I mean, they just heard about Jesus not that long ago. They're going to be a little nervous, right? And I love how Paul is so authentic, you know? He's not just telling them this Joel Osteen garbage and cupcakes and roses. God's going to let you live your best life now. He said, listen, I want, you just saw me stoned to death or thought that, that they had stoned me to death. You're going to have some trouble. You're picking up a cross, <laughs> okay? It's not going to be easy. So he goes back and he encourages them in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, verse 22, Acts chapter 14, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And this is just a baseline understanding of if we want to live in the kingdom, okay, if we want to see a thriving kingdom, we have to understand this truth that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to understand in that pros and cons list, the tribulation that you endure is nothing compared to that treasure that's hid in a field that's worth selling all you have for the kingdom, okay? But we also need to understand the truth. And, and you know, when people come up, when young people come up and be baptized, praise God. And we want to encourage them. But you know what? You don't pat them on the back and say, you've made it. Everything's going to be great for you now. No, you, the church has to galvanize around that new member because you want to know what? Satan's coming after them. By the way, we don't have time to go over to the parable of the sower, but that stony ground, that stony ground got excited when they heard the truth. But it says very clearly that because they didn't have a depth of root, because they had not got established in the truth, in the midst of persecution, that's when the stony ground fades away. Because, and that's what Paul was concerned about that, right? You want to, these people could have been stony ground, but they got excited when they heard it, right? But now we're having to endure real persecution. And unfortunately, many people fade away when they have to now give up something for the kingdom. I mean, I, I mean it all sounds great. I mean, being saved by grace sounds amazing to the soul, right? Especially if you think you've been saved by works your whole life. And, and then you hear the, the power of salvation by grace alone. It, it, anybody can get excited when they hear that sermon. But then when you join the church, and then all of a sudden, for some reason those people you used to run around with, all of a sudden they don't have the same convictions that you have. And now my friendships are being, my perceived friendships are being fractured because of me putting the kingdom first. Listen, people need to understand, when you press in the kingdom, there's going to be tribulation. God promised us that. Jesus promised us that. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Now, don't let it get you down. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, right? John chapter 16 and in verse 33. Okay. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> this is right after the rich young ruler who was not willing, not willing to take up his cross, not willing to give up some things for the kingdom, not willing to mortify his covetousness. And then, of course, the disciples with their wrong-headed idea 
Verse 28, lo, we've left all and followed thee. The implication there, Peter quit talking before he finished what he really meant, was what are we getting out of this? I mean, we gave up all this stuff for you, Lord. What are we getting? What are we getting? And Jesus says, verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold more now. Now, we know that the the kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and those are spiritual blessings. You're not going to have a deed on a hundred houses. But what you will have is through the fellowship of the kingdom. If you invest yourself in the kingdom, I'll tell you, even if you can't do it yourself, if you let me make some phone calls for you, you can go from one end of the country to the other and not have to get a hotel if you don't want to. Now, you may prefer to stay in a hotel. Sometimes I prefer to stay in a hotel. But within a couple calls... In a couple phone calls, I could probably get you a place to stay in any part of the country. Okay? And you're going to have brothers and sisters that have greater intimacy of fellowship than those that just have a similar genetic blood type running through the same veins. Okay? You shall receive a hundredfold more now in this time. Houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands. But you're going to get something else along with it, okay? Persecutions. You're going to get something else along with it. And in the world to come, eternal life. In the world to come, eternal life. Let's go to... Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. These, these apostles, you know, I feel like Paul probably had that same exact perspective when he was in Acts chapter 16 and he's in Philippi and he's been beaten. And I feel like that you would have had to have that perspective of having the blessed privilege of being counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ if you still have open wounds on your back but yet you're praying and singing praises to God at midnight, right? I think that, and and I think that part of the reason, I think Paul had some of that same desire to try to make up for his past mistakes and try to make amends for him, him persecuting the church. And I think that's part of the reason, just like the apostles, they were trying to make up for forsaking Christ, Part of the reason why Paul poured himself out so much for the kingdom was that he was so convicted over what he'd done in the past that he was trying to make up for it to the best that he could. And by the way, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, when Jesus appears to him and borns him again on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He says it twice. Why are you persecuting me? Now, wait a minute. He was just persecuting the church. But I want to tell you, the lesson in Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands and wives, it's a very edifying thing for us to know how we need to treat our spouses. But ultimately, that is a picture of Christ in the church. And I want to tell you, you want to talk about uh, having a, a big brother that can help you out on the playground, 
Somebody messes with you. The big brother comes and helps you out. Listen, when somebody persecutes the bride of Christ, they are picking a fight with Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, he is not going to take very kindly to somebody mistreating his bride. So understand, Jesus Christ will come and defend you. Jesus Christ will come and defend you in the midst of persecution. Uh, when, when, they killed, uh, when they killed James, this is in Acts chapter 12, they killed James and Peter's thrown in prison and they're, they're about to, or they think, about to kill Peter. Now remember the church had that all night, the 24-7 prayer meeting, right? They pray without ceasing. The Lord let Peter out of prison, amazing, miraculously. But Herod, who killed James, by the end of that chapter, he thought he was going to get Peter too. But by the end of that chapter, he died by being consumed with worms. I'll tell you, the Lord knows how to defend his people. They are picking a fight with the wrong person when they decide to persecute the church, okay? <laughs> we need to understand that. Jesus Christ will stand up for his bride. So... In Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, it's very important that we have the right perspective, have the right perspective of what persecution is. If you're persecuted for living an ungodly life, then that's, that's wrong, right? But if you were persecuted for living a godly life, that is a badge of honor in discipleship with Jesus Christ. He says here in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 10, boy, I mean, we're, we're pretty happy about the rest of these Beatitudes, aren't we? Right? Mm -hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble and the meek, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, those are all, those are blessed conditions to be in, right? We would all agree that we desire to, first of all, be in that blessed condition, and then to reap all the blessings that are the second half of the sentences, right? Well, but those are blessings that, that we desire to partake of. But there's another blessed condition. Another blessed condition that God's people many times find themselves in. Blessed are they that are persecuted. Now, this is important for righteousness sake, <laughs> right? Now, if you're being persecuted, you know, if you broke the law and you have to pay the penalty that's attached with that law, with that crime that you committed, well, you're not being persecuted for righteousness sake. But if you are serving the Lord, letting your light shine, and you are being persecuted for that, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are, there are treasures for you in the kingdom of God. And, and one thing about the, the world persecuting you is it, it makes you desire to flee more into the kingdom. Okay? Blessed are ye when men... Now, this, this is kind of more along our lines. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. They make fun of you. They mock you. Blessed are you if men mock you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Don't be concerned. Don't be overly concerned 
if people say things about you that are not true. Don't be overly concerned about that. Because what you find with all these people that they did it with Jesus, they did it with Paul, if there's enough lies going around, eventually they will, it will all become so convoluted that it will become evident that they're lies. That's what happened with Jesus. Like They, they were so bad at lying, even people who were not godly men said, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what you're saying must not be true. <laughs> now, it's one thing to see yourself in that blessed condition, but there's a whole other level in verse 12. Rejoice. Rejoice. And be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. And also, don't feel like that you're the first person to ever have to endure this either. So persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There's a long history, a long history of people that have stood up for truth, stood up for godliness, and the world didn't like it. You're in good company. You're in great company. Don't feel like that you're the first person to ever have to go through this. Now, we're going to hopefully conclude in the latter part of Matthew chapter 5, but I want to go very quickly to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, I should have left myself more time for this, but this is really more practical for us, okay? Uh, praise God, we've been protected from physical death, but how do we respond when people verbally say things about you that are not true, when they slander you falsely? How do you respond to that? Don't forget that you're a disciple of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. So how do we respond to that? 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 19, for this is thankworthy. <laughs> this is an entirely different perspective than we have, right? Blessed, rejoice. This is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief and suffer wrongfully. What glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. It's glorifying to God, first of all. Let's go ahead and skip to verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, but he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And boy, you want to talk about something that is against every fiber of our natural being. <laughs> I'll tell you, if people were reviling you and people were saying things about you that are not true, there, there is nothing more unnatural than to be quiet. <laughs> but I'll tell you, what's better for you is for you to just let the Lord defend you. Committed, I mean, he's one with God. He is God, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. And you know, by the end of that, by the end of all those false accusations, he kept his mouth shut, he didn't say anything. By the end of that, Every single person, highlighted primarily by Pilate, they reached the conclusion that this is an innocent man. They agreed to crucify a man who had been declared innocent. You see, Jesus defended, God defended him. So when people revile, you don't feel like, now, now if there's a place for you to correct misinformation, you know, do, do so with your grace seasoned with salt. I mean, with your speech seasoned with salt, okay? But don't feel like you have to go hunt down every single person that may have a misconception about you. Listen, 
Commit yourself to him that judges righteously. Okay? He'll defend you. And then we want to close in Matthew chapter 5. We'll talk about things that are so contrary to nature. <laughs> this is not how we're wired. Even in our regenerated state, that, that old Adam nature has not been eradicated. Verse 43, Matthew chapter 5. Ye have heard it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, okay? Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I, I'll be honest with you. There are some people that I'm not a fan of that I feel like are probably not a fan of me, and they are not at the top of my prayer list. We'll just, we'll just go ahead and be honest. I mean, they are not at the top of my prayer list. I'm going to pray for you that I love. I'm not gonna, they're not going to be at the top of my prayer list. But Jesus says, if you really want to be like me, and you want to know what? Those people that took Jesus' life, Jesus let them breathe his air. He allowed them to live. He let them breathe his air. He let them eat his food. He let them have a little bit of his money to take care of their basic necessities the whole time they were here. God was still that good in a just natural sense here in this world to people who hated him and took his life. We're supposed to be servants of Jesus, right? Followers of Jesus. It really takes that special movement of the Holy Spirit for us to be willing to do that because I'll tell you, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to show agape love to those who are enemies toward us. But, but you know, if you've ever... If, it will be very humble. I'll put it like this. It will be very humbling. It will very, be very humbling and sanctifying to you if you go through the exercise of praying for those who persecute you. I've, had, I've went through that a couple times. And boy, it, it's very humbling because it's hard. Those are hard prayers. <laughs> to go through the exercise to say, I tell you, they sure ain't praying for me. They do not have my best interest at heart. But... Jesus says that he's honored by me praying for those who persecute me. And it is a very sanctifying, humbling experience for you to make a commitment to do that. You know, I have in our prayer list, our shared prayer list that me and Bethany have, I have different sections. I'll be honest with you, I have not added a section. <laughs> I have not added a category for those who persecute me. Maybe I need to. But the Lord will work in your life in a special way. When first of all, you're committed to doing that, and then we have enough humility and grace to act like Christ to say, I'm going to pray for those that are enemies toward me. I'm going to pray for those that persecute me. And I'll tell you, hey, you never know. <laughs> you never know how things will change. I, you, want to, you want to put somebody down at the bottom of the list. Those people in, in uh, Damascus, do you think that they were really praying for Saul of Tarsus? When he was showing up to throw him in prison, I don't necessarily think they were. Maybe they were. But he changed the greatest persecutor of the church to the greatest apostle of the church by his sovereign power. Don't miss that point. Don't miss that point. You never know who the Lord may see fit to use in the future. And we need to do our duty to pray for them. Because you know what? The Lord could change their heart. Maybe they're a child of God. They're not just born again. They're not born again yet like Saul. 
And the Lord could use them in a might. Boy, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? Do you understand? We, we, want, we desire Macedonia to grow, amen? Do you realize that he may grow the church by through your enemies? <laughs> he may. Do we really want to pray for that? <laughs> do I really want to be a church member with him? Uh, do we really want to pray for that and, and, and risk that the Lord may answer it? <laughs> the Lord may see fit to grow his church and his kingdom in ways that would be very surprising to you. Let's do our duty to the best of our ability to... Serve God faithfully in your persecution and glorifying him. When we're reviled, revile not again. Leave it to the Lord. Commit unto him the judges righteously. And pray for those, to the best of our ability, for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. God will be honored, first of all. God will be glorified. But you will have a special fellowship with him in sufferings that will strengthen and grow your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's our desire. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.